0: creation i sing praise to the king of kings Good morning once again. Man, uh, I, I love times in worship like that. Kyle, thank you for your heart. Uh, I think it'd be easy for us to look back at 2020 and think, that was so hard, and live 2021 in response to that. Uh, I know I fight that temptation to kind of tiptoe into the new year, kind of go timidly into the new year, uh, kind of expecting the worst. I mean, sadly, t- 2020 kind of conditioned us to, to be flinching. But that isn't really what God's calling us to, is it? This year is full of opportunity. Full of challenge, yes, but opportunity. God is up to something this year, and I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that in my walk with the Lord. I want to be a part of that in my family. Uh, And I want to be a part of that in our church. And so this has been a real uh, important week for me to really come to terms with my calling here at Hope and Anchor. My calling as a follower of Jesus who has been sent out by Him on mission into the world. It would be, a, it would be dereliction of duty for me to be going timidly into this year. I want to lead our church to be uh, excited but also anticipating that God is going to restore God is going to rebuild, He's going to refresh, and He's going to resurrect so many things this year in my life, in your life, and in our church. The way things were this past 10 months is not how things are going to be going forward. Uh, We want to be faithful, but we also want to be uh, anticipating all that God wants to do in and through us. Do you believe it can happen? Yeah, I believe that our neighborhood can be a better place to live and work for everybody because the people of God have arrived. And I'm so pumped to just uh, beat that drum all year long. Why us? Why here? Why now? Because Jesus has sent us. We're here on purpose. And so I just really need to refocus and relive into that this year. And I hope that you'll follow me in that. So, hey, today, this is kind of that second uh, Sunday after Christmas. That kind of, that that time of year where we haven't really headed back to school yet. We haven't headed back to work yet. So we're not exactly sure what to be doing right now, right? It's kind of this in-between space. And sometimes we don't know what to do with those in-between spaces, do we? We don't know... uh, what we ought to be doing, or what to make of them. But I think it's important that we recognize those times and really turn our attention to God and kind of look at the scriptures and see, hey, what did people do in those in-between times as well? Uh, so today, unimaginatively, uh, this is uh, Tide 2020. That's the title of my sermon. Actually, it's got a subtitle, uh, Parenting. Am I right? <laughs> Parenting, am I right? Yeah. I recently saw a tweet from a guy named Simon Holland that read, I never understood how the little drummer boy's parents could just send him outside alone at night to play his drum until my daughter brought a recorder home from school. Anyone uh, feel their pain? Yeah. Um, It's been said that Scottish parents uh, who had children learning how to play the bagpipes would send them away to live in caves for the first several months in order to practice. I mean, I learned the saxophone in middle school and I can only imagine what I put my parents through. Or do you wanna play the clarinet? Is there an instrument worse sounding during the learning months than a clarinet? Yeah. Um, I think you'll agree if you have children, we love our kids, but desperate times call for desperate measures, right? (laughs) We've all been there, all of us who are parents. uh, Simultaneously, we feel blessed, but also beset. Blessed and beset by the gift of children. We are both very thankful, but also very tired. (laughs) Right? Jim Gaffigan, after the birth of his fifth child, quipped, You know what it's like having five kids? Imagine you're drowning, and someone then hands you a baby. (laughs) Imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. Parenting is challenging, am I right? It's probably our highest human calling. I think anyone who's been a parent would recognize it's the highest of human callings. Uh, But it can also feel like an unrelenting, thankless, very expensive, lifelong undertaking. Am I also right? Yeah. But speaking for myself, as a parent of six, I would not trade this experience for the world. I wouldn't trade the experience of being a dad for anything in the world, no matter matter how many minivans I must drive, no matter how many dance recitals I must sit through, no matter how many lights are left on in the house and I must once again turn them off. It doesn't matter. I wouldn't trade being a dad for anything in the world. I get called A lot of things by a lot of people in my life. But the one I treasure second most is Dad. I wrote this thinking my wife would be here and then I was going to be able to say something about being called your husband's the best, but she's not. So, anyway, second best and most important title, Dad. First one, Husband. Right, all right. Hope you're watching this, honey. All right, uh, let's see. So let's use our imagination. Let's use our imagination, uh, a biblically shaped magi- imagination here. Let's hold in our minds what, it, what it's like to parent our own children with all its joys and all of its trials, all of its ups and downs, all of its, its successes and disappointments. And now, over the top of that, add the layer, imagine the extra dynamic of your child also being Jesus. Okay, so imagine your children, and then add Jesus to the mix. You with me? Okay. You happen to be the proud parent of a healthy child that also happens to be God incarnate, the long-awaited Savior of the world. No big deal, right? Okay. Have you thought about this before? How challenging this must have been? Uh, What was it like for Mary and Joseph to try to be mom and dad to the Son of God? I mean, the Bible doesn't really uh, pull any punches here. I mean, it gives us a pretty clear picture. I mean, uh, it's very it's, there's a humanness to Scripture. It's not all just angels strumming harps on clouds. It's actually people living out this reality with God. And so it's real people like you and me being called to parent God incarnate, the Savior of the world, the one who was sent To redeem mankind from all of her sin and error pining. That's a task. That's a lot to absorb. Have you thought um, what it was like for Joseph and for Mary? What was it like to care for and to correct and to teach and to discipline Jesus? One gets a sense that as Mary looked at Jesus, she was filled, yes, with a sense of wonder, but also a sense of foreboding and a, and a sense of awe. Uh, Luke 2.19 tells us that Mary saw all, these, all the goings-on with Jesus and she treasured, them up, treasured these things up in her heart. Which I think that's, that one small statement is saying a lot. She treasured these things up in her heart. She kept all these things in her heart, and she thought about them often, as the New Living Translation says. Let's read that story, Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 52, uh, is where we're going to look today. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem... His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, three days later, Cripes are mighty. They finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents did not know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? (laughs) But they did not understand what he meant. Then they returned, Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. So the language here is biblical, so it does, it's, not, it's, it's clean. It's, it's, it kind of brushes over some, uh, some things here and there. Uh, I think the language may mask a, a sense of bewilderment and astonishment in Mary and Joseph. What had they seen in the previous years with Jesus? Well, they'd seen the shepherds come and worship him because angels in the sky had told them to do so, right? Then they saw the magi, the wise men from Persia, come and give him gifts as they worshiped him as what? A king? What? Holy moly. If Jesus had been my kid, I would have felt a strange mix of wonder and fear. I would have felt this sense of wonder, but also this like, oh man, how's this going to play out? I don't even know what to think about all the things that have happened in these 12 short years of his life. Fear and wonder. I think it's hard for us to imagine Jesus being fully human, uh, being a normal kid. Does anyone else struggle with that? I mean, I think they struggled during the Renaissance, uh, during the Byzantine era. All the art shows Jesus sitting there on his mom's lap. He's a baby, he's chubby, naked, but he's still doing like... He's got a nimbus halo around his head. He's like... I think we've always kind of struggled to see Jesus as just a kid, as a fully human, normal kid. His His divinity, it figures so heavily into our appreciation of him, I think it overshadows... Our understanding, our grasp of him as human. It makes it hard for us to really say he was fully, fully human. I think we give a nod to it, like, oh, he's fully God and human, but God. Well, he's fully God and fully human. You know, it's both, both fully. It challenges us to get a grip on him as being one of us. So we struggle to understand him as human, but take it further, we struggle to understand him as being one of us. Like us. A person. Why is this? I think it's because he was sinless. He was sinless. We feel like that kind of separates him from us somehow. Because he was sinless. Because he was sinless, we think he was never mischievous. We never think he was unruly. We have our time reconciling that he was a normal, fully kid, kid, it was never mischievous or unruly, right? But the Bible says that Jesus experienced what? The full range of human life, yet he did not sin. He experienced it at all, all, and he did not sin. Somehow, Jesus had all the human kid stuff without the sinning part. I think that's a key takeaway. Jesus had all the human stuff minus the sinning part. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. I think this states it well. Hebrews chapter 4, uh, verses 14 through 16. So then, and listen closely to this passage. It's pretty reassuring. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I don't, I don't know about you, I don't expect that verse 16. Yeah, I kind of expected to say, you know, he faced all the same testings uh, as we do, yet he didn't sin. You know, I kind of expect he's going to like spike the football or something. Like, yeah, check it out. Yeah, why are you sinning? You know, but then comes verse 16. and It's like, so let us come boldly, boldly uh, to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Whoa, I didn't expect that part. Did you? Sometimes I have a hard time imagining God like that. Every time I sin, every time I screw up again. I kind of expect that he's just like face palming himself, like, Are you serious? Why can't you be more like Jesus? You know, it's like, I'm trying, I'm trying. And he's like, Ugh. Come back when you get it right. No, he invites me, Come close so you can receive more grace, so you can find more mercy. So good. Here's what we know Jesus felt the tumult and the temptation of childhood, of adolescence, and of adulthood. Yet, he navigated it all without giving in to that temptation. He navigated it all without giving in to that, that sin, uh, desire to sin. And in doing so, he's, he lived the life that we could not live. This is an important point here. He lived the life then by not sinning. He lived the life that we could not live. And in doing so, that then sets us free from the burden of getting it right. That's astounding to me, and I didn't understand that until recent years. I always understood Jesus' death was in my place, that He died the death I couldn't die to appease God's righteousness and to be reconciled to Him, but He also lived the life I couldn't live. So He takes the burden of death off of me, but He also takes the burden of life off of me too. I don't have to get it right because Jesus got it right in my stead. Have you thought about this before? What was the purpose of Jesus' fully human yet sinless life? He lived the perfect human life that you could not live. So he relieves us of this burden to get it right. But then it goes even further. There's more. Much to our benefit, Jesus, having faced all the same stuff as us, he then is all the more sympathetic to our plight. Guys, this is so good. How can you be so quiet when I'm telling you something so good? He lived the life we could not live. And now he is sympathetic to our plight because he knows. He knows. So when we approach God, we receive all the more mercy and grace. Guys, this is the God we serve. This is how he responds to us. All the more mercy and grace. I want to like chicken step across the stage like glory. But I don't do that very often. So it means something if I tell you that. So we've come to the time in between. The time in between Jesus' birth and everything else. These weeks after Christmas, uh, they're always a strange time. It kind of feels like a little bit of a letdown, especially when I was a kid. It was like Christmas was over. And all you know, it's going to be forever until Christmas comes again. It's just kind of like, oh, no. Oh, no, 12 months of waiting for the next Christmas. It's the worst, right? A little bit of a letdown. Now we just wait. We wait for whatever comes next. I guess Easter? Because, I mean, as a kid, at least you get candy, right? But in the Christian world, in the Christian thought process, it's like, oh, death and resurrection. Easter's coming. But in between... In a small way, the space right after Christmas, I think, is, a, is, a, is a, inviting us in to feel a little bit of what Mary and Joseph must have, ex, must have experienced um, parenting Jesus between his, his birth and the initiation of his ministry. I mean, there's kind of like 30 years of just like, well, all right, we're ready, God, whenever you are. Bring it on. You know, things calmed down after a while, didn't they? After his birth in Bethlehem, things uh, were fairly quiet except for the visit of the wise men uh, and except for that part where they had to flee to Egypt to escape the murderous wrath and paranoia of King Herod. After that, there isn't much to report. Uh, The scriptural narrative just kind of skips over a bunch of years. There isn't much to report for the next several years with the gospel narrative fast-forwarding then to when Jesus is 12 years old and is apparently feeling a little more independent, right? So let's hear that story in Luke chapter 2 once, one more time. And uh, now that we've heard some things, we're going to further unpack it. But every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Enter into this story. Maybe you're Mary. Mary. Maybe you're Joseph, Okay. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, and his mother stored up all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people." So, this story kind of gives, lifts the lid, kind of invites us into this kind of awkward moment, okay? This was a difficult situation for Mary and Joseph, as you can imagine, right? Clearly, they were frustrated with Jesus. Were they right to be frustrated with Jesus? Is it allowed to be frustrated with Jesus? Yeah, Um, and he totally, from a parent's perspective... Now, I'm not speaking over and against or with that greater authority than Scripture, but I'm saying, as a parent, from a parent's perspective, Jesus totally should have let them know where he was going. I think my commentary is he should have let them know. So what, are, what were Jesus' parents to do in this situation? Does Jesus get a pass just because he's Messiah? these are weird questions to ask right but does Jesus get off the hook just because he's Jesus are you allowed to ground Jesus spank Jesus Uh, can you take away his temple privileges I mean there's no template for this Mary and Joseph were like I wish we could google this you know like seven easy steps in parenting the Savior of the world no but I mean how weird would you feel spanking Jesus That'd feel odd. Verses 41 through 44, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. So going to Jerusalem for Passover celebration was an annual tradition. This is something they looked forward to every year. It tells us that Mary and Joseph were what? They were observant Jews. They were observant Jews. They were celebrating the prescribed annual feasts and festivals in the prescribed ways. This was likely a highlight of their year. Like what you look forward to in Christmas, they looked forward to in the Passover trip to Jerusalem. It was not a small undertaking, and it probably cost a lot of money. A lot of money for them to go and do this. But Jesus was 12. Jesus was 12 years old by now, and he was old enough uh, to look forward to it. He was old enough to enjoy it. He'd been several times now, and he knew what was coming. He likely had friends that were also going from Nazareth. He, he likely had uh, uh, places he liked to visit and things he liked to do while in Jerusalem. Things apparently go as planned, Uh, And after the Passover celebration is concluded, everyone loads up and everyone heads home in a big old caravan. Mary and Joseph are making their way home, covering the 90ish miles between Jerusalem and Nazareth over the course of a few days. And they're assuming that Jesus is somewhere in the caravan. I mean, you can imagine this. If all your friends and neighbors and everyone from Nazareth is traveling together, you'd feel okay with your 12-year-old Hanging out back there with his friends, running around, doing things, uh, just assuming that you're all moving in the same direction, right? They assume that Jesus was somewhere in the caravan. But then, settling into camp that first night, to their horror, they discover that Jesus is not with them. Jesus is missing. Poor Mary. You try to get into Mary's head here. Poor Mary. What is she thinking? What is what is her self talk like in that moment? I mean imagine, I had one job. I had one job, raise the Messiah. I had one job. I lost Jesus. Emmanuel is not God with us. I lost Jesus. Verse 45, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. (laughs) But why? Why did you need to search? He asked, didn't you know I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Frantically, Mary and Joseph, at high speed, head back to Jerusalem. They head back to Jerusalem, uh, and they spend three of the, lo- the three longest days of their entire life searching for their son. Searching for their son, looking everywhere, and finally they find him sitting in the temple, listening to the religious teachers and discussing questions with them. They are clearly perturbed, right? How do we know? They're clearly perturbed because they ask him... Why have you done this to us? Why have you done this to us? And he answers them truthfully, Why did you need to search? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? (laughs) Surely they wanted to say, No, son. We didn't know that. We didn't know that you must be here. If we did know that, we would have looked here three days ago. We wouldn't have spent three of the most terrible days a human can experience looking for you. Yeah, if we knew you were here, we would have been here. This is an important moment in Jesus' growth. Jesus' growth in wisdom and stature. But I guarantee you that as Mary walked Jesus out of the temple, she was using her mom voice. I guarantee, I'm not sure what it sounded like in the first century in Aramaic or whatever. But she had the mom voice going on. As she ushered him out of the temple, who do you think you are? Never mind, don't answer that. (laughs) I will never understand how your brain works. You worried me and your dad sick. Just wait till we get home. Just wait until we get home. Fairly awkward, but still. How could she not be using her mom voice in that situation? I'm not sure what Joseph was doing, but he was probably given the silent dad treatment. <laughs> Verse 51 says, Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. Then Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with all with God and all the people. Remarkably, Luke tells us that when they got home, Jesus was obedient. Remember, he didn't sin. Him staying behind and being at the temple without them knowing that wasn't a sin. Miscommunication, maybe, but not a sin. He was obedient when they returned home, and Mary then treasured up these things in her heart. Well, what kind of things? What kind of things had Mary been called upon to treasure up in her heart? Well, this is hard, but it was the good and the bad things. She treasured up in her heart the good and the bad things, the easy and the difficult things, the clear and the confusing things, the reassuring and the unsettling things. All these things were put in there to be treasured and to be thought about often. The textures and the contours of childhood, of adolescent, of the adolescent years, they shaped Jesus, but they shaped his parents too. They all grew in wisdom and in stature. They all grew in favor with God over the years. But even though Jesus was a genuine kid, even though he was a real boy, Jesus' heart was always remarkably set on obedience. Jesus' heart was set by default on obedience to God and to his parents. So kids, I'm going to talk to you for one second here. Here's the lesson for you. Here's an example for you to follow. Be a kid. Be fully and wonderfully and frustratingly a kid. Be a kid, but decide in your heart to obey. Set your heart. How can you be like Jesus? Set your heart on obedience. Will you get it perfect? No, only Jesus could do that. But set your heart on obedience to your parents and to God. Also, please tell them where you're going. <laughs> tell them where you're going and tell them what you'll be doing. Okay? God is at work in your life and He will do some amazing things in you. But for now, He has entrusted you to your parents. Your parents are the primary source, uh, God given source, resource for how you will grow in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and all people. He's entrusted you to your parents first and foremost. The most central way that you will grow in Christ's likeness is under the authority and the guidance of your parents. Amen. So enjoy that. Appreciate it. Welcome it. And live into that. So parents, here's a takeaway for you. Parents, Mary and Joseph, they felt, the, they felt much frustration and fear in raising their son. But how did they respond to all that they experienced? How did they respond? They chose daily to keep room in their hearts for God's work, for God's work in their son's life and in their own life, uh, asking him to help them keep a healthy, patient perspective, to help them see with uh, clearly uh, how they are being grown through all of these experiences. I think a lot of us as parents, we we get so caught up in the experience that we really don't save time, or we never stop and think, how am I to treasure this in my heart? All the things that I've seen in my kid's life, all the things I've seen God do in our family, how am I to treasure these things up? Am Am I taking the time to think upon these things? Keep room in your heart for how God is at work in your kid's lives. sometimes you get so frustrated you kind of close off to that but really step back and say god this year you're going to do something amazing in my kid's life and i want to be there to see it save room in your heart for what god is doing in your kid's life but also in your own okay now for all of us all of us may all of us recognize the raw accessible quality of jesus even here in this space between, even in this time where we just don't know exactly what to be doing sometimes. This space uh, between when he first came into your life and between between then and whatever he's going to do next. We too must figure out what to do with Jesus, even when he does unexpected things even when he seems like a no-show, right? When we think we've lost him, even as we frantically search for him, we too, like Mary and Joseph, can find ourselves becoming frustrated, becoming fearful, or we can choose to treasure it up in our hearts, like Mary, and to think about these things often. So I guess it's just really a, a, a call to perspective, The call to follow Jesus will lead us to crazy places and there'll be times where you'll sense his closeness and then you'll also feel times like, oh, I don't know, I think I've done this so wrong. I think I might have lost Jesus. I can't find him anywhere in my life. But hold on, hold on. Treasure it all up in your heart and think about it often. This time of waiting for what's next is important as we grow in wisdom and stature with God and with all people in this year to come, in 2021. So I guess as we head off into the next months, as 2021 starts to unfold for us, I pray that we would go attentively, saving space in our heart for that treasuring, but also understanding and believing that God is up to something and that we can be a part of that. So, uh, what I'd like to do is uh, enter into a time of reflection as we start this year. Just spend a few moments here sitting with the Lord. Maybe there's some things that you need to say. Maybe there's some things you need to hear. But maybe you've not made that time to just sit quietly with the Lord. Think about what it means to create space in your heart for what God might do in your life, what God might do and might be doing in your kids' lives what God might want to do in our church's life this year. So uh, I'm going to ask someone to come and play some music and uh, just take a few moments to sit with the Lord and uh, have that conversation. Father, I thank you for your goodness and the fact that you came to be with us, to lead us back home. Now that Jesus came to uh, lead um, us out of darkness and out of sin, but he also lived the life we couldn't live. He lived a perfect life and freed us from the burden of getting it right all the time. Because God, speaking for myself, that's a pretty crushing burden. That's a shadow I find myself living under far too often, believing that I've got to get it right in order to find grace and mercy with you. But I thank you that Jesus opened up a way for sympathy, for acceptance. That all who call on the name of Jesus, they're saved, but they're also uh, secure. They're saved, but they can also come to your throne and find more and more grace and mercy. So good. So God, I pray for my friends that maybe have been laboring under that same burden. Maybe a guilty assumption of their need to get it right. And they feel like they're such a failure that they have no business being with you. They have no business coming close. But God, I pray that we'd all be freed from that burden this year. God, so much awaits us this year. So much opportunity. So much participation in your mission. God, I pray that we wouldn't miss out. So God, do a work in each of our hearts this morning to free us, to heal us, to give us the boldness and the courage to come close to you but also to step into this opportunity God this time in between Christmas and Easter such kind of a weird time of waiting but God it's not wasted time so God please help us not waste this time I pray for my friends that have been following Jesus I pray that they had press into a deeper commitment to obedience and to following I also pray for my friends who've uh, maybe given up on it They've been hesitant to come to Jesus for whatever reason because they feel like they're too messed up. They're damaged goods or or they have no business or they've been hurt or they've been burned. They know what it's about and they don't want that. God, I pray that you give them uh, a fresh vision. Give them new eyes and a healed heart to come to you because your desire is that all would be saved. John 3.16, your word tells us that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus. Why? So that everyone would believe. And everyone would be saved because you sent Jesus not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So God, keep that central truth, keep that truth centered in our hearts, we ask. We make our prayer in the powerful, transforming name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, man. A couple of announcements before we head out. But man, this snow, any, any other snow people here? I love snow, man. It's been like the most beautiful thing to drive and see the the, the trees just frosted with this snow. Uh, the part where we were without power for 12 hours on uh, New Year's Day was not the greatest, but, you know, north side. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, hey, what's going on with students tonight, guys? Um, we'll be here at 6 o'clock uh, while well, it's and stuff. I think we'll be undecorated. Oh. Big night of undecorating. And we're gonna be uh, kind of calendaring, so talking about what we wanna do this month. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Curtis and Kendi. Speaking of Curtis and Kendi, check out the cry room. You won't wanna cry tears of joy when you see that room. They gave the cry room a refresh. Uh, it's got some better audio in there. It's comfortable. There's toys for the kids. Man, so in addition to our coloring sheets and stuff, you've also got that room. Uh, Man, they were up here all weekend working on it. Uh, Curtis uh, was working with the sound system. He almost lost his salvation, but he didn't, right? He got upset about some things, but (laughs) grace is abounding. (laughs) um, (laughs) Good thing for once saved, always saved, right? (laughs) Anyway, um, they worked really hard, it's really cool. Check it out um, while you uh, are here today. Also, uh, Megan, thank you so much for the kids focus. If you would like to be a part of that ministry, that's an important part of what we do on Sunday morning. So uh, see me and I'll help you get into that uh, rotation. Uh, We've got a a monthly rotation set up right now, but we always need some some, uh, substitute teachers as well. So if you're willing to do that, see me. We view the giving of tithes and offerings as an intimate expression of faith and worship, and we want to make sure we offer uh, opportunity for that. So there's two baskets here in the room. There's an iPad back there for debit cards, and there's also PayPal online. We're going to work this year on getting like Venmo and some other ways to give uh, from your phone. But God is good. This last year, the technical term is, well, that's not church appropriate. It was bad last year. And uh, as you know, I mean, about half our people were gone. Giving was way down. But we've been praying. Uh, You guys have been stepping up. And we finished the year in the black thank the Lord. I mean, we reduced spending, but giving really kicked in there at the end, and we're no longer in the red. We're in the black, which for you non-budget types, that's good. Black is good, right? Red is bad, right? So we made budget, uh, our amended budget, so praise the Lord for that. So your faithful giving has uh, relieved a lot of stress on your dear pastor, and, um, you know, uh, looking forward to a, a new year in that respect. So... Uh, your year-end giving statements will be ready probably in a month or so so as usual get with Heather Whitford and she will either email that to you or print one off for you Um, remember the missional reminder every week you're going to hear that shaping and sending gather and scatter we're here on purpose to worship and be shaped by the gospel and then we are sent out into the world so the question is how are you going to participate this year how are you going to participate in that shaping and that sending none of us are here as a spectator right So, missional reminder. All right, uh, let's see. Now, we're going to finish up. So, if you will stand and pray with me as the Lord taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May He produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to Him. All glory to Him forever and ever. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thanks, everyone. Have a good afternoon.